And Jesus himself said that he did not come to do away with the law. This is the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast with your hosts, Michael Campbell and Greg Howell. Welcome to the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Campbell. I'm joined by Greg Howell, and we're uh, continuing this uh, looking in depth at various facets of Adventist history. And uh, we want to begin and really kind of unpack today. Right now, there's a lot of uh, talk about vaccines and anti-vaccines or anti-vaxxers and, and kind of take a step back from all of the current drama, if you please, to look back a century or more ago to try to understand a little bit better about how our early Adventist pioneers interfaced with uh, this whole topic. And so, uh, Greg, you and I were talking and... You know, I know you're a collector, as am I. <laughs> you bet. And you found something pretty interesting lately. I did. I did. I was. Uh, I, I picked up a pamphlet. Um, it was probably one of my random eBay purchases. It was just kind of. It was cheap. It was easy, and I snagged a copy of it. And as I was flipping through it, uh, I read the pamphlet through, and then it was like, and also by this same author, purchase these. And I was just reading through the list, and a particular title kind of jumped out at me, and the title. Uh, is this, and let me just kind of say it all. It's one big, uh, kind of big thing. It was called vaccination. Uh, Sorry. Back (laughs) in the days when the whole title told you the whole book. Basically (laughs) it it is an abstract in itself, right? Like it's just huge anyway. So yeah, the guy's vaccine or the, uh, the title was vaccination, a curse and a menace to personal liberty with statistics showing its dangers and criminality. And I truly was like, I must find this particular thing. And it wasn't just a pamphlet. That's intense, right? <laughs> I know. And it's criminality. I mean, I had to know. So uh, kind of jumped in on this thing and found a copy of it online that had been scanned in by a university somewhere, uh, published in Battle Creek, Michigan, which is always obviously something okay. that catches my attention. And it was an interesting one because the author also had written things um, with titles like The Seers of the Ages. Uh, and, and a bunch of other different things, question, the, the Christ question settled, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I was like, fascinating. Let's see what this guy has to say. And so in his opening, you know, statements in the preface, uh, he kind of just really dives into this topic. And he said the vaccination practice pushed to the front on all occasions by the medical profession and through the political connivance made compulsory by the state has not only become the chief menace, and the gravest danger to the health of the rising generation. But likewise, it is the crowning outrage upon the personal liberty of the American citizen. And I thought, well, yeah. this is this is going to be great because I have to hear. I mean, it, it felt like reading headlines in modern day, in the modern day. Right. And right. Uh, he just kind of kept going, you know, and he was I, I had to figure out, like, when is the thing written? It's, you know, back in the 19 early 1900s. Uh, mostly it seems to be writing against the smallpox vaccine that was being pushed out in various places all around. Uh, and, and and admittedly, the vaccine required a rather disgusting uh, method. It was uh, used, they, they would infect cows uh, with, this, uh, with smallpox, and then they would gather the pus from the cows and the, the boils, right? And then they would kind of distill that down into a vaccine uh, because it had the antibodies and all that other kind of stuff in it. But eh, agreed, kind of gross. And he really rails on how disgusting that is. 
Um, but then he just kind of kept going. He said, you know, when when he's looking at uh, the the world around him, the immediate occasion, he says, that induced mm. me to take up my pen against this great medical evil was the closing of the public schools in San Diego, California, February of 1899. Uh, and, and he says against all those children who failed to show a, fa- a certificate of vaccin- vaccination. And it, it was fascinating because it's really a, the exact same scenario in so many ways. Now, I, I would have expected, uh, you know, having bitten, been written in Battle Creek uh, and, and published there and all this, I, I thought there was an Adventist connection. And then as I kept going, I realized, wait a second, this guy is not an Adventist. He's not a Christian even. He's a spiritualist. Yeah, who, who was he? J.M. <laughs> J. Peebles, a spiritualist writer who believed in, in the preexistence of souls and communicating with your dead saints. I mean, just like all of that stuff. I have to interrupt for just a second because I, I, you know, this Peebles guy, like he, he's like um, close friends with Moses Hall. So yeah. anybody that knows they're kind of like Adventist history Peebles and and Hall. Hall was this early Seventh-day Adventist minister who defects and becomes a spiritualist. Ellen White kind of warns about it. So th- so there kind of is an Adventist connection, but but not in a good way. <laughs> no, no, not at all. In fact, the original pamphlet that I got interested in the guy on was called um, a, an argument against Adventism. Are Adventists true Christians? So, I mean, that's kind of why I got it. it. It was already interesting to yeah. me. Um, but, wow. but what fascinated me was the arguments you know, that this is a, a, an attack on personal liberty, that it's an American crisis, um, that it's, you know, started out by the closing of the schools. I, I was shocked to hear that a spiritualist, a very devout non-Christian, uh, sounds just like a bunch of people that I have in my churches today <laughs> when we're talking about vaccines and everything. And it, it, it just kind of took me back to realize we aren't doing anything new here. And, and it made me think like, well, how has, how has Adventism developed over the years uh, in, in regard to vaccines, in regard to how we treated them? Um, what what do our what did our church members think of? Because, you know, we've always had a very strong health mindedness to us. Um, what, what how do we respond to vaccines when they first showed up? So that, that's kind of what got me thinking in this episode. Um, I was startled and surprised and always interested. But I know, Michael, you've also got a bit more of an answer for us. I'm I'm uh, just getting used to this, but you have been diving in to this exact question. So tell us a little bit about uh, maybe the missionary front when it comes to vaccines. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the latter part of the 1890s up through the early 20th century uh, is this kind of transition moment where uh, the 19th century, where all these strong drugs and everything. So there's this kind of uh, real caution about um these kinds of things. And, and the tipping point really happened in Africa, our first missionaries who went there. And, and Ellen White was quite explicit that, you know, harmful drugs that are, are should be avoided in, in preference to natural remedies. And she actually lists some of these harmful drugs, uh, including quinine. Mm. And so the earliest Adventist missionaries in Africa, they go out there and they want to stand and show their faith. Um, and not only their faith, but their convictions about the health message. And the problem was, is that malaria was rampant. And so here, yeah. and, and, and probably the most famous illustration of this was um, in Seleucia, the first attempt to go back from these settlements, uh, these, uh, the 
you know, the you have the empire, the British Empire, and everything. Right. And so the earliest Adventist missionaries they tend to work through the network of the empire. So they're they're in Cape Town, they're in places Johannesburg where where there's well established foreign presence. So this is really the first in, attempt at sending out missionaries to reach indigenous Africans to really go out. Uh, and and so they got a piece of land, what what becomes known as Seleucy, and they go out there, and and it's incredible the, the so- stories of sacrifice and commitment. Um, and if you go to Seleucy today, there's a cemetery there, and a whole bunch of these early missionaries. And I, I first discovered it because I was reading about mission stories, and and so. Um, there's some of these names that aren't well known, like Dr. Addison Carmichael. He was in that first group of missionaries mm. that went to Seleucy, and very early on, he dies of malaria. And there's there's just a, a whole bunch of them. Uh, later on, uh, W.A. Spicer, he will write about this time and say this was the single greatest sacrifice of wow. missionary lives in our church's history. So you just see a whole slew of them. They they die. There's there's one particular uh, missionary, uh, W H and Nora Anderson, and they kind of break with convention. They're like, well, Ellen Ellen White wants us to do natural remedies, but but actually quinine has been shown to actually save lives when it comes to malaria. And so they actually had been renegades, went and bought some quinine in the local town and were taking the quinine. And they were some of the few who actually survived. So um, there's sort of this question of orthodoxy. Are these, are, are they actually being faithful? Or have they let down the standards? Or, and so church leaders write to Ellen White, you know, is it okay to use quinine? Because she specifically said quinine was bad, along with all these harmful drugs yeah, yeah. that were just used randomly for all kinds of things indiscriminately. Um, and it just shows how medical knowledge was developing. Here is something they thought was a harmful drug, but now has, in some instances, can save lives. And so when they they asked and pushed Ellen White, she she went and and, and consulted with the, the the physicians there near her home near Elmshaven. And and her response that was communicated back to the to the missionaries and church leaders in Africa: If quinine will save a life, use quinine. Yeah, nice. And, and that's just kind of incredible because that's this turning point. Because missionaries were dropping like flies, dying from malaria, and they're like, "There's actually a cure for this," but you know, allowing modern medicine to develop and that as modern medical knowledge, what was deemed, you know, very harmful, quinine shouldn't be used randomly for just any, you know, for having a headache or whatever. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what was happening in the 19th century. And they, they discover actually, this really is good. And and that kind of transition moment, embracing the best of modern medicine, if you please, um, is also the same transition moment. Because I run into people who are like, you know, I can look in the 19th century in the review and find where Adventists write against vaccines. And I can find that too. There's no question. But the question is, is what's the historical context? What's the development of modern medicine? Where are we at in that story? Because Ellen White's statements about drugs and natural medicines in 1863 is very different from 1903, 40 years later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I just see this again and again. For me, the the tipping point really happens right before and during World War One, in terms of vaccines, from roughly about 1910, 1915, up through about 1920, you start to see pretty consistently Adventist missionaries are going out 
and they are vaccinated. They're, they just see that this is a good thing that should be embraced. Um, D.E. Robinson, he he kind of brought this point home because uh, his uncle had gone to missionary to India, D.A. Robinson, and uh, hadn't been vaccinated. Again, another missionary that died. Uh, and, you know, just these stories keep pouring in. Um, a couple of good positive examples are in uh, Peru. Probably two of my very favorite missionaries uh, would be uh, Fernando and Anna Stahl. They're just incredible how they just love the people around Lake Titicaca and embrace them and began to uh, just were very effective. And intriguingly, on their way as they arrived to Peru, the very first night, it's a two-day train ride up to Lake Titicaca back then, uh, they had to stop over. And in fact, I think you still do that to this day. They had to stop over and get a hotel. And they actually go out and visit some members. They meet a missionary that is there to kind of welcome them and, and help guide them. They visit some members and and they, they're in this little hut, you know, in this little and they look around the room and in the corner, uh, they see somebody very sick and bedridden. They're like, what's what's happening here? And they said, oh, he's, he's got smallpox, like no big deal, smallpox, which, you know, is this. That's a pretty big deal to me, but. Yeah, right. Uh, very contagious, very deadly. Yeah. And uh, Fernando Stahl writes in his article about their journey. I was so thankful that I had been vaccinated. Yeah, and of yeah. course he goes back to the hotel and the hotel's on fire. It was just a wild uh, yeah. arrival. <laughs> he gets his family out of the hotel before it burns down. And Man. of course they eat, ate food and saw guinea pigs that were licking the dishes. So it was quite a cultural, <laughs> what we call culture shock today, right? Of, yeah. of having to adjust to a new place, new culture. Um, but But you have this sort of, wistfulness, all oh, that we had more access to vaccines, so we could help more people to save mm. more lives. Uh, and, and I think that's really a big part of it, because if people die, how can you share with them about Jesus and exactly. his soon return? That, that I mean, as you're talking and, and sharing this, it, it really does drive that home. What practicality are we looking at here? Are we standing to, you know, a statement that was given by Ellen White on, on medical, you know, grounds and say, well, that's our authority. She says, don't do it. And now we're dying and we can't even fulfill the mission. Um, or yeah. do we, or do we make the jump? And in some, in, in some way I can't help but see it, but jump past the prevailing medical view of the health message as we understood it and jump into mm -hmm. this new world of health message plus medical science. Right. And, and, and that's a fascinating juncture because today I'd say that we still are having that similar conundrum with a lot of folk. I, I, I can remember having church members who, you know, would treat uh, all illnesses and ailments with natural remedies. I mean, I, their kid, you know, grabbed a piece of wood out of the, the wood burning stove at home, second degree burn. And they just had it all slathered up with uh, honey and herbs and, and this poultice on it. And, and I, I remember seeing the kid's hand and I'm like, that's not, that's infected. That looks terrible. Oh, and they were just raving mm -hmm. about this amazing medical cure and just look how great this is. And I was like, mm. and then they were like, we're going to put tofu on it tonight. And I was like, oh, I don't think the tofu. Okay. And I, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's that sense of we want to do it natural, which I get. And then there's this other sense of, well, but 
we're on the front lines of, of mission work here and we can't, uh, we can't fool around. We have to do what works. Yeah. That's a weird place. Yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you think we thread that needle? Yeah. And finding that balance is, is really tricky. And I, I think, you know, i neither of us obviously are medical personnel, right. so no, we're not no, here no. giving medical advice in any, any way, stretch or form, but, uh, but it is important that, that embracing the best of modern medicine that's available to you. And, and I'm kind of reminded recently, you know, I, this year, uh, a friend whose parents decided, you know, we're just going to go all natural remedy, you know, eight laws of health. And I believe in the eight laws of health you sure. know, that Ellen White talks about. Uh, they both got COVID and we had, there was a funeral for them. Um, they both passed away tragically. Yeah. Uh, and I can't help but wonder, you know, uh, thinking about these early stories, you know, it's again, it's a very personal choice what people choose to do. Yeah. But just because you have the eight laws of health, as our early Adventist missionaries discovered, following those health, that health message didn't mean that you were invincible from diseases like smallpox and malaria. Yeah, yeah. And it's... And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I got one more story for us. Do it, do it. This is, this is, takes, it takes me to a painful place, but I need to hear more. Come on. All right. Well, uh, the, the, the last story is going to a different part of the world, to, to China. And I've had a lot of fun recently writing and researching about the earliest Adventist missionaries in China, done just a whole series of these articles for my my friend Bruce Lowe, who's the editor for, for Adventism in, in China for the New Adventist Encyclopedia. Mm. And so I've had kind of fun um, identifying some of these early missionaries, um, two that I wrote about. Um, they're uh, physicians, uh, doctors Bertha and Arthur Selman. And I hadn't really heard their names. I, I, you know, I'd seen it referenced maybe a few times, but I didn't really know very well. So I did a deep dive on their lives. And and so if you know anything about the history of Adventist missions in China, you have like the early self-supporting like Abram LaRue who goes out and then kind of the next wave with Jane Anderson and Emma and Ida Thompson, uh, Emma's sister. They're kind of that second wave. And then really there's this sort of third wave of missionaries. There's a kind of a, a missionary that had been out there who converts and he kind of invites and makes a call for uh, more missionaries uh, to come and join him in central China. And it's response to that invitation that, that Bertha and Arthur, um, but also probably better well-known is Harry Miller and his wife, Maud, his first wife, mm. who tragically um, will die of, of tropical disease later on. He's the guy that's famous for soy milk, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and and then uh, a couple of nurses, Charlotte Simpson, Carrie Erickson. Anyways, this is a group of six missionaries, and they're on the boat across the Pacific Ocean in October of 1903, and they meet a missionary from another denomination. And Bertha tells a story in her autobiography. She says that this missionary was so impressed that these Adventists, now out of the six people, four physicians, two are nurses, right? Um, who they're so impressed with these Adventist missionaries who value scientific medical knowledge. Mm. Now she describes him in contrast, and he's with a group of missionaries going to China as well from a different denomination, different mission organization. 
says, he had many fine qualities and seemed to be sincere, but he disagreed with the doctor. She's describing herself and her husband and, and their themselves collectively, this group of four doctors, on the experience of some medical precautions, such as vaccination against smallpox. Now, he believed that while following the line of duty, he would be protected against such plagues. But in less than a year from the time they landed in Shanghai, the Selmans, that's referring to themselves, learned that their friend had died of smallpox. And then she goes on to note that his uh, fiance that he had planned to marry, who was also a missionary, had died from the same disease as well. Man. So um, just another one of these examples contrasting early Adventist missionaries embracing the best of modern medicine, mm -hmm. including vaccines, uh, in contrast to others that are like, hey, you know, um, and it just shows the high regard or, you know, the see early Adventist missionaries who were also very committed health reformers did not see modern medicine as a threat or in any way as antithetical to what we're trying to do. But yeah. but rather the health message and the best of modern medicine and missions were all united to the same outcome, the same purpose of saving people's lives, both physically and spiritually yeah, yeah. and to me that's really um that's just um so compelling uh of of what an crazy and just amazing heritage yeah. of faith and sacrifice and commitment of these missionaries but but also embracing this um recognizing it's not perfect no. vaccines aren't perfect but um they were incredibly effective and living missionaries were much better for sharing their faith than dead missionaries. Right. And, and <laughs> I mean, again, that's the practicality of it. Right. I, right. I, I find it fascinating that you, you, you bring up how Ellen White handled the question. Uh, let's go yeah. all the way back to that first instance, right? She says smallpox, mm -hmm. don't do it. This is a bad vaccine. And then they ask her again and she doesn't sit down and pray for a vision on smallpox. She goes no. to St. Helena sanitarium and talks to the doctors. I mean, that in yeah. itself shows to me that the health message is not uh, antithetical to the medical establishment. I mean, if Ellen goes and consults with the doctors, um, I, I think you could clearly feel okay with doing so yourself. If you're a true, you know, true blue Ellen yeah. White believer, uh, she did the same. <laughs> Consistency. Yeah, right. Yeah, and right. at one point, her whole household... Uh, and, you know, obviously there's a little bit of debate, but I think it's pretty clear that her, she encouraged her household um, and one of her staff says that she herself got vaccinated for smallpox. So yeah. I think that kind of shows through her own example um, how she felt about it. And and I should also add, not every Adventist missionary that went out was able to get vaccinated. Right, right. Um, I found another story that I just uncovered. Um, Alonzo and Julia Werner, who, again, um, were missionaries to China. They went in about 1916. Um, and when they went back for furlough in 1923, their daughter, Audrey, had contracted diphtheria. Um, and, and, and this was kind of tragic because um, part of the family had been able to be vaccinated, but there wasn't enough vaccine available when they left. Oh, right. And so there's this sort of um, and, and when I interviewed some of the descendants, there's sort of family lure that, you know, there's always a sense of loss that what if they had maybe waited or had been able to get vaccine for the whole family yeah. uh, that they felt very strongly that because they were wanting to get vaccinated. It just sometimes it, it wasn't 
yeah, available. And, and so this wistfulness, what would have, what could have been if, if maybe they had been able to get, um, their, their lovely, uh, daughter, uh, vaccinated who tragically, uh, passed away from what they felt was a very yeah. preventable disease. I mean, right. I mean, that hits home. That's, that's just, it's scary. It's hard. And when you're mm-hmm. talking about your kids and making this move to follow the spirits leading to, you know, preach the gospel in the other world lands, it's, it's, that's, mm-hmm. That's it's a fascinating window. It shows me one that yeah. our church has not, uh, uh, it hasn't just now started dealing and wrestling with this question. We've been talking about it for a long mm-hmm. time, um, but yeah. But two, it also shows me that there's some precedent for really seeing the medical part of the ministry mm-hmm. as a true arm of our health message. Um, yeah, I, I, I the medical like medical message and the mission are interconnected. Yeah. You can you can view science as an integral part of our health message as as understood by our, our pioneers. So, yeah. Well, uh, what I, I, one more just quote from Arthur White, very yeah. conservative grandson of Ellen White, was in charge of the White estate for decades. I mean, just this um, and reflecting upon these early missionary experiences. I found this little quote and I just I just had to share it here to kind of as we're wrapping up. Um, I think Arthur White says of the missionaries who went out in the earlier years of our work, some of whom thought that it was a violation of principle, talking about health principles, right, to be vaccinated. And they were cut down with disease and filled early graves, giving virtually no service to the mission field. Mm. Would it not have been much more pleasing to God for them to have taken the steps which would have prevented their succumbing to these dread diseases? Yeah. That uh, mic drop, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's 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 coming down and making it real, real plain, real good. All right. Hey, Michael, thank you for all this work. This is a ton of stuff that, frankly, it doesn't well, see the light of day most of the time. And you never know when you find something on eBay that's going to help illuminate. <laughs> some of the... Right. Can never you never know what rabbit trails history stuff is going to take us. So anyway, thanks again but, for all the great insight here. Uh, vaccines are obviously not a question that's going away anytime soon, but hopefully looking at our own church history and seeing how Adventists have wrestled with this before can help some of us make our own decisions um, and as best we can today. So thanks everybody for listening. Thank you for jumping in on this one. Uh, if you were hoping for a nice, strong, contentious argument, I think we did not necessarily come down too hard on any of it. We're just looking at history, folks, just looking at history. Again, thanks for listening to the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcasts. We will be up with another great episode next month. So make sure you follow us, like us in all the different venues. And hopefully go out and make your world a little bit better as a result. Thanks, everybody. And Jesus himself said that he did not come to do away with the law.